I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. It's Samson's riddle time. Here is Judges chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can explain it to me during the seven days of the feast and figure it out, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't explain it to me, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they replied. Let's hear it. All right, so uh, feasts. Okay, remember this comes from the Hebrew word to drink, uh, something Samson was not supposed to do given the fact that he was born in Nazareth, uh, would last seven days. And to give someone an, uh, an outfit right, and a change of clothes, this is a big deal. It would end up costing Samson 30 times as much as it would any of them individually. So if Samson wins, he gets 30 outfits. And if Samson loses, he has to pony up 30 outfits for, for each of them. And he didn't typically have, you know, that many outfits. He didn't have closets full of clothing in this era. Uh, clothing was expensive and it was a big deal. It wasn't, they didn't have washing machines like we do. They did have, I believe, see our, uh, our the series in our YouTube channel, uh, Shadows in the Sand, about, uh, you know, numbers and, and Deuteronomy. About, I do think that they did have a, an early version of laundry detergent, but they didn't have near the kind of resources that we do today. And, and clothing was a big deal. So this is a pretty costly wager. And so uh, here is his riddle, verse 14. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. After three days, they were unable to explain the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Persuade your husband to explain the riddle to us, or we will burn you and your father's family to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? So this indicates, you know, by default that they had agreed to the wager. Otherwise, they wouldn't be robbed. You're not on the hook legally for a bet unless you walk into the casino and put money down. Okay, like it's a, you're assuming a legal contract when you do that. And, uh, you know, Samson has offered the terms and they have accepted. Now, if you've been keeping up with the devotions, you know that Samson walks into a vineyard, kills a lion. A few days later, sometime later, he comes back to examine the carcass. And on both accounts, he's in a vineyard, which he's not supposed to be in because he's a Nazareth. And now he's touched a dead body, which he's not supposed to do. And then he brought the honey back to his parents and they didn't tell where it came from. And so they likewise are participating in his violation of his Nazareth vow, making them complicit in what for Samson is sin. And now he has used that bizarre encounter with the lion and the you know, uh, crazy occurrence of bees forming a hive in the lion's carcass, taking the honey out of it as the interpretive key to a riddle. Without giving them the interpretive key, it's impossible for them to solve this riddle. This is done strictly out of Samson's ego, his desire to denigrate others, and by making it a wager with clothing, which is costly in the matter, he's frankly... He has turned it into an opportunity to rob them, albeit one that they must have agreed to. Someone inviting you to place a bet doesn't obligate you to it financially, but they have agreed to it and they don't have the interpretive key. They are assuming solid character on the part of 
Samson. Just like somebody who walks into a casino and puts money down is assuming that the casino is going to be good, <laughs> uh, good to them to to pay them for their winnings. But they're not going to an institution that has you know some legal accountability. They're talking to Samson, who has already made some compromises in his own Nazareth vow. He's sort of banking on his own credibility as a judge appointed by God, as a Nazareth anointed since before his birth, like we saw in this week's sermon, uh, as someone who is trustworthy, but he is not. Let's take a look at the tradition of riddles, all right, or as, uh, you know, a, a Hebrew term for it, like dark sayings, because we've seen God use, we, we've seen God speak to us in a way that does require an interpretive key in some instances. We see Jesus use parables and then explain behind the scenes, but never without an interpretive key. The interpretive key in the case of Jesus's parables was the spirit of the Lord. The interpretive key in the letters to the churches at Revelation is those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, is the Spirit of God. But this is not something that's inspired by the Spirit of God. The sovereign hand of God is at work even through Samson's weird riddle. He's going to redeem everything. But this is not a parable in the fashion of Jesus. This is a riddle formed totally in the brain of Samson. Okay, in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we say, Let a wise person listen and increase learning. Let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a, par uh, a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. So, in order to be able to interpret parables, proverbs, riddles, uh, it does, you know, require learning. It requires guidance. It requires discernment. See this in Proverbs 1, 5 through 6. So the idea of presenting a riddle or a parable, it's not completely uh, without precedent, uh, or in this case, it's not, it's not unaccompanied in Scripture. But I want to distinguish uh, Samson's riddle from every other riddle. First uh, Kings chapter 10, verse 1, when the king, queen of Sheba encountered Solomon, uh, she tested his wisdom with a riddle. The queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's fame connected with the name of the Lord, that's critical, and came to test him with difficult questions. Remember how Samson first kind of proved that he had been given divine wisdom by solving a dispute to determine who the true mother of a baby was? In Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, we can see how God spoke to Moses differently, okay? Uh, Listen to what I say. If there's a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Remember his encounter, uh, seeing the train of the robe pass by him on Mount Sinai? So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? This is something that distinguished Moses from other people. God didn't speak to him in riddles. Okay, he spoke to him face to face and directly. What Samson is doing is completely separate from Moses. All right, he's not heard from the Lord and he's not speaking to other people uh, in a godly way. Here's here's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 2. It kind of takes what was introduced about the ability to uh, solve riddles and, you know, kind of discern uh, the, the the understanding of you know proverbs and parables, it, uh, it it qualifies all of it with something that's very important and something that that I believe is lacking in Samson in this chapter of Judges. If I have the gift of prophecy and can understand all mysteries, that would include kind of riddles 
and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. Coming back to today's text, I don't think that this is done in love. These guys are betting the shirts off their backs that they can solve this riddle, but he has withheld the necessary interpretive key. He's entrapped them in an unsolvable riddle for them. He's the only one who knows. It wouldn't be until, you know, the book of Judges itself, you know, is is profligated, is published and becomes part of the Torah that, that you and I would even know what happened there. So this is not done in love. This is not done uh, for the edification of these men. This was, this was you know, uh, a rhetorical and hostile act on, on Samson's part. And it's, it's going to come back to bite him. You'll recall that he was accompanied by 30 men, and that's the number of casualties that are going to result from this. His poor wife faces this uh, homicidal threat, you know, and in light of all this, persuade your husband to explain the riddle to us or we will burn you and your father's family to death. All right. So she's going to spend the duration of this feast weeping. And, and it all stems from, uh, from Samson's riddle. See to it that once again, we learn from the converse of Samson's actions. The Spirit of the Lord is going to come on Samson again later on, and God's going to use even this weird riddle that he's doing to accomplish his will. Samson, once again, will unwittingly contribute to the will of God. But what you and I can learn, particularly from this aspect of Samson's story, is that we are to do things in love. Don't don't entrap people with weird vagaries. Don't, Don't entrap them with implied things. Mean what you say. Say only things that you mean. I've found that it served me well over the years that I don't ever imply anything. Especially if you're in a managerial position, if you're in authority over others, if other people are entrusting their livelihoods to your leadership and its veracity, see to it that you don't ever imply anything. Don't play mind games with people. That's what Samson did. It's one thing to speak and teach in a way. Parables make things more understandable, but that's the opposite what Samson did. He had deliberately obfuscated. Don't play mind games. Don't imply things. As we'll see when we study the book of James, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this is sin.